On Vital Voices last weekend, Veterans Day weekend, we visited with Doug Taylor, who served with the United States Army during the Vietnam War. That conversation continues today as Doug shares more of his recollections from his daily life in Southeast Asia. How much death did you witness over there? More than more than you'd want to talk about. I mean, just uh, it's it's just not a pretty thing. I mean, you see you see your fellow soldiers see him hit in the shoulder by an RPG and it blows half of him away. I mean, there's only half of him left left there. So the guy, um, well, just just too much of it. What were some more of the strategies that the Viet Cong used to conduct war in the jungle? They would take a little bit of shoots of bamboo, cut them off, and you know how bamboo grows. They'd drive a nail up through the, one of the little things. They'd put a bullet down in there and leave the bullet sticking up just about this far. And they'd put it on the trail. You come walking down that trail and you step on that Step on that bullet, it pushes that down on that nail on that primer. That bullet goes off, shoots right up through your leg. They didn't intend to lose that war, and they didn't. They had all sorts of booby traps and things like that. It's just, uh, it was an amazing place. Their their ingenuity, their want to win was uh, was pretty strong. They were defending their home. What were some of your most memorable brushes with death in Vietnam? We had a captain who wouldn't listen to us and we kept telling him we don't need to go over there there's Vietnamese over there we don't need to go over there and he called the helicopters in to get us right in front of where we told him not to go no sooner had the helicopters landed than they opened up of course we didn't know it we were laying out putting down support for them all of a sudden a helicopter jumped straight out and I hear this thump and one of my guys had was walking onto the helicopter and when it jumped up he fell out the back, fell on his backpack and broke his back, killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy, uh, we got into a firefight in the middle of the night one night. One of the new guys did what you never do. Uh, he turned around and shot across the perimeter. You shoot always shoot out the perimeter. You don't shoot a, he turned around, shot across the perimeter, shot a friend of mine from South Carolina, shot him in the thigh, cut his femoral artery. We, he's, he's still alive. We kept him alive. And, wow. Uh, he's, he's, he's still out there. But, uh, I had a, had a buddy that, uh, who got four purple hearts. A guy named, uh, Shields from, uh, from Lamoni, Iowa. And, uh, Roger got four different purple hearts. And we were on a helicopter one day riding in. And all of a sudden he jumps up and, and you, you sit on the edge of the helicopter with your feet hanging out the door. And he jumped up and turned around and raised up and pulled a, pulled a bullet out of his hind end that had come up through the metal plate and it just penetrated enough to break his skin. Do you ever get back together with any of those guys? Uh, occasionally I, I've got a letter a few years ago. My, my unit had been meeting every other year for a number of years. They just hadn't found me and they found me and I went to a, reunion of the group in, in Pittsburgh and it was a blizzard reunion to sit back and see some of those fellas and see see how they'd done and have you ever had a desire to go back to Vietnam? 
Oh, I do. Yes. And I'm going. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. It's a gorgeous place. And they very much welcome Americans now, I understand. It's very cheap. What do you want to see when you go back there? I'd like to go visit uh, some of the places where, where I was before and see what it was, see where I found my, my first hamburger over there. Uh, you know, you don't think about missing things like that, but you miss bread, just regular bread. My old dad asked me one time, he said, what would you like to have? And I said, I'd really like to have some beans. We were eating sea rations packed in. This is in 1970. These sea rations packed in 1941. They kept you alive. But I asked my dad, I said, I want some beans. Oh, about 10 days later, when the resupply chopper came out, they kicked a box off my name on it. And in that box was beans. And right in the middle of this box was a loaf of bread wrapped up probably in 10 layers of aluminum foil. He'd gone down to the local bakery and bought that loaf of bread at 4 o'clock in the morning put it in a box and sent it to us, and uh, it was just, it was like heaven. What were you drinking over there? When you're thirsty, you'll drink whatever you can find. Uh, we we actually sometimes dip water out of the rice paddies, uh, use your dirty T-shirt to filter the little squiggly things out of it before it went in your canteen. But when you're thirsty, you'll drink whatever you need. Sure. Take a chance. Take me up to the... The day when your deployment in Vietnam ended, I spent uh, I spent seven months in the field, and uh, one day uh, we were set up in a, in a perimeter, and I heard my captain in the center of the perimeter up there just raising cane. He was complaining that they had uh, our our no good supply sergeant in the rear had had rotated back to the states and. Uh, he didn't know who was going to get to take that supply sergeant's place. Remember my earlier experience? I said, I believe I can help you out here. And so uh, he said, uh, after I talked to him a while, he said, okay. He said, I'll give you a shot. And we couldn't get we couldn't get canteens. We couldn't get clothes. Our clothes were just rotten, literally rotting off of us, just falling off of us. I said, we couldn't get towels. We couldn't get canteens. Couldn't get T-shirts. He says, go back and see what you can do. And I I went back to the rear, and I, my first sergeant and I, we got talking. I said, get me a truck. And I'd found these, what they call SP packs, which were highly valued by the people in the rear. These were, they had cartons of cigarettes and candy and this and that and the other and the things. And they hadn't been coming to the field. They'd just been keeping them in the rear. So, uh, the first sergeant said, well, I can't get you a truck, but I'll get you a Jeep. And I said, okay, get me a Jeep. So I loaded up two or three of those boxes, and I went down to the division headquarters in July and found the the supply headquarters, and I went in and started talking to the people in supply. And I said, yeah, I got some stuff I need, and I got some stuff you want. I said, let's, let's make a deal. So I called the first sergeant the next day, and I said, send me a truck down here. He said, I can't get you a truck. I said, yeah, you can. Get me a truck. And so he sent me a, a two-and-a-half-ton truck down there, and I filled that truck up with uh, T-shirts, canteens, all the things we couldn't get, plus enough tin to roof the building that the first sergeant was in uh, every day. I made friends right then and there, and I sent all that stuff out to my guys in the field, and they actually had, had canteens with fresh water and uh, had, had clothes that weren't falling off of them. 
a few days later, I went down. There was another little place called uh, Neohan, and there was a, a MACV place down there. And the MACV place, for some reason, had an Air Force detachment there. And uh, there wasn't, wasn't any air base there. I took one of those SP packs down there, and I traded the Air Force guy out of uh, uh, three Air Force beds. They had big, fat mattresses, and we'd all been sleeping on the floor or on cots. So I, I got a mattress for my XO, for my uh, first sergeant, and for me. And from then on, I could do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they took care of me from that point on. Wow. But, but that's how it works, you know, just you learn how to how to scrounge, how to do business, how to do a little trading. And the uh, Army was good to me. And uh, they brought me in uh, one day and they said, uh, you're getting close to the end of your tour. And my first thing when I got there, I signed up for an in-country R&R and an out-of-country R&R. I knew I could take a week in-country and a week out-of-country and turn it into a month out of the field if I'm still out in the field toward the end of my tour. So I scheduled these close to the end of my tour, and they called me in and said, uh, you're scheduled to go to Australia on your R&R next week, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, do you want to go on R&R or do you want to go home? And I said, can I go on? Can I go to Australia and then go home? He said, no. He said, if you go to Australia, you're going to have to stay, and stay that extra month here. And I said, let me think. Let's go home. So uh, they processed me out in a couple of days, and uh, – I was back home, uh, and then about a week after that. I Give me the home. date of that. Uh, November the 9th of 1970. That's hmm. when I got, that's when I put my feet back down and, uh, on the United States soil. We're visiting today with Doug Taylor, a Vietnam War veteran, about his experiences in Southeast Asia. Were you ever physically injured in Vietnam yourself? Not physically. But nobody, nobody yesterday, today, or tomorrow that ever goes off to war comes back the same. Never. And I don't care if you're on the, in the battle or if you're in a desk in the rear, you never come back the same. It's, uh, it's different. It changes you. Have you had nightmares about it? Rarely. Uh, I got off much lighter than a lot of my friends. I, I know, I know people, uh, around here who had terrible times with it. I wake up in the middle of the night screaming and uh, can't be consoled. Uh, I had a friend whose wife used to call me occasionally at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and ask me to come over and see if I can't calm him down, and and I could. Hmm. But uh, I got off much later than most of them. And, you know, like I said, my, my time was 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 very easy. We had plenty, plenty of bad times, but uh, we had some good times too. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all – you know, you did a lot of laughing and did a lot of laying around, you know, really. This, sometimes that's all you could do, just kind of sit around, wait on next move, where you're going. Now, had you been dating Vicky? No, I had not. Did, did you know her when you were we in did. We knew each other. She was from, uh, she was from, uh, Cock County. I was from Hamlin County and we had, uh, met at a, a local drive-in restaurant. We, we, we were friends. I had actually, um, had been in a relationship with another girl uh, just prior to my world ending when I went, when I went in the army. Uh, so uh, after that, we we came back and uh, we we kindled a, a friendship and, and a relationship, and we 
been married a little over 53 years now. So you uh, got married in 1970? January 1972. Two, okay. Now tell me about coming back to school. The first time in history, ETSU started a winter quarter at the 1st of December. And that's how I got out a little bit early. They let me out early to come back, thanks to Dr. James Lloyd and Mr. Ted Mowry. Uh, they wrote a letter and said, if you'll let him out to come back to school, we'll let him come back to school. And so they did. ETSU started in the 1st of December. You went two weeks. Then you took a month off for Christmas and two weeks in January. Then you came back and finished the rest of the quarter. I came back. It was it was quite an adjustment. Loud noises would uh, would scare you. Loud noises would put you on the floor. Uh, I did that in a class one time, much to my embarrassment. Uh, Dr. Robert Milkey, a philosophy professor and a young lady behind me, dropped a book off her desk and it, bam, it, it hit the floor and so did I. And I, I went sliding up the floor and I remember Dr. Milkey never missed a word. He just looked down and said, a Vietnam veteran, undoubtedly, <laughs> and just kept on talking. I got up and dusted myself off and went about my business, but... Uh, uh, it, it, it took you a while to get over that stuff and gives you a while to get out of the regimentation of the military. You talked about any person going to war, coming back home and never being the same. How did that experience in Vietnam change your day-to-day outlook on life and your philosophy and the way you approach things and the way you deal with people? You know, that's, that's a hard question right there. I, I think uh, what what it does for you is it, it changes your outlook on things. It, you come to understand that what's going to be is going to be, that you might be able to influence that a little bit one way or the other, but you're not going to change it. You come to value people. You come to value relationships. And you had to rely on your buddies. We want to thank Doug Taylor for sharing his remembrances of the war in Vietnam. And most of all, we thank him for his service. If you missed our first interview with Doug, you can find it online at wets.org on the podcast's page. Vital Voices is recorded and produced in the studios of WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and is heard every Saturday morning at 7 and every Sunday afternoon at 2. For Vital Voices, I'm your host, Fred Sossman. <laughs>